Thank you, David, for bringing that question to us this morning. Uh, What a joy it is to be able to gather together as God's family, as God's people, to worship Him uh, this morning. Uh, My name is Pastor Matt. It's a joy uh, to be with you this morning as we spend time uh, worshiping and and singing. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning in in song of of praise to our God. Um, And a joy as well as we gather and open up God's Word together um, to continue in our series about what we believe. Um, Before that, I just want to touch upon a few announcements that uh, hopefully you've already seen even on uh, the online bulletin, uh, the emails that have been sent out. Uh, The first one is our TGC 2021 Women's Conference um, called Steadfast. It's uh, the 9th and 10th of April. Uh, They're doing a study in James. There's going to be some great speakers with that. If you have more questions, uh, you can talk to Stephanie Clausen uh, for some more details and, and how to sign up for that. Um, and it should be a great time of, of gathering together and learning uh, through uh, the book of James and studying upon that. <clears throat> As well, uh, you may have seen or gotten already uh, some papers and pens. Uh, uh, we've been asking people to share some uh, memories about uh, Nowood and how God has shown just his faithfulness, things that, that God has done, of how we can be praising him throughout these 80 years uh, coming up for our 80th anniversary that we'll be celebrating I believe in June, yes? Yeah, in June. Uh, and so we, we ask that you share these memories, and then uh, we'll be able to uh, put them out and post them, that people can uh, see just how God has been so faithful to us as a church uh, throughout all of these years, uh, that we can be praising Him and celebrating uh, all that He has done together uh, come our 80th anniversary. Uh, so if you can be doing that, that'd be great. Uh, and then just uh, leaving, uh, where are they leaving the memories? Just at the offering? table there? Yeah, so there's a little table at the back. You can just leave them there, and we'll collect them at the end of the service. So we're going to be continuing in our series of what we believe. Uh, And this morning, uh, lucky as it is that I've gotten this topic, uh, we're going to be talking about what's going to happen in the last times, uh, known as the last things or uh, end times. Uh, It's a big topic, uh, and there's a lot of details. Um, but I, I pray that as we focus on it, uh, ultimately that God is glorified, that we see him as he has revealed himself uh, in, in these end times and in the last times as well. Uh, but I want to start off with a question. If, uh, if you've ever, have you ever watched a show or read a book or even like maybe played a video game um, where you get to the ending, you go through the whole thing, you get to the ending, and the ending was pretty terrible? It didn't end well, or it just didn't resolve itself like you thought it would. And it actually affected the story that you just read, or um, the game that you just played, or uh, the movie that you just watched. You hoped that it would be good, but it was sort of disappointing and almost you know, ruined the rest of it. Uh, especially you know, when you struggled through that, that difficult or stressful time, or maybe there was a point in the video game that like, you had to retry over and over and over again, and you just couldn't do it, but you finally made it. But then you get to the ending, and it just kind of leaves you wanting more, wanting a different outcome, a different resolve. The ending is so important. And so I ask you, have you ever thought about your ending and the story of of your life? As a follower of Christ, the ending is so important for living in the moment now. Without proper understanding of the importance of the ending, our hope can be easily misplaced and our perseverance can quickly be depleted. 
Uh, these past few weeks, uh, as we've been going through this uh, sermon series, we first talked about God's Word and the importance of uh, God's Word and what it is, that it is true, it is without error, it's infallible, and it's inerrant. Uh, and we've been learning that we don't have to guess because God has, has spoken to us through His Word. We then touched upon learning the very big topic, and I'm actually glad that Nate took that one because there's so much to it, of, of who God is. Uh, and I believe he did a great job uh, of showing us through God's word uh, of his characteristics of who he is and what he is like. Uh, ultimately, really coming out of his holiness. But you see his love, his grace, his mercy, that he is judge, that he is good, that he's sovereign, and that we can rest upon him, we can trust in him as we continue uh, to live according to what he has called us to. And so, like I said, we're going to be studying uh, the thing of last things. It's a, it's a, a theological term called eschatology. Uh, eschatos is, is the Greek word for that, which just means last. So it's the study of last things. <clears throat> we see this uh, ultimately coming about in uh, the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, uh, in which, uh, written to, to the church in the time of, of persecution, uh, mainly from Emperor Nero from Rome. The church was facing lots of persecution. There was hardship. There was uh, death. People were being put to death for their faith in Christ. And it was a, uh, it was a book written, of course, as, uh, as pointing forward to what will happen in the end times, ultimately to point the people to uh, assured hope as they went through these difficult times. To see the end, to see the God that they are resting in, to see ultimately that Christ is coming back and he will have victory and he will be judge and they will have a lasting hope of looking forward to the day in which they are redeemed with God forever in eternity. Revelation 22, verses 12 to 13 says, Behold, I am coming soon, this is Jesus speaking, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. As humans, we cannot know the future. However, as Christians, we can with certainty trust the God who knows all and is never wrong and never lies. In Scripture, he has told us the major events yet to come, And so as followers, we lean into those promises. This is the hope that we have. We are certain of Christ's return. And so as we go through this, the question of of what your hope is resting in, I think, is very important. Are you staying ready, awaiting with anticipation and hope? Does thoughts of Christ's return change how you are living your life for him on mission now? as we go through this, we don't get lost in the details of the trees and we miss the whole forest of what God is showing us in this. Let's focus on the hope of Christ returning. He's coming to judge, to condemn and to raise up everyone to either eternal punishment in hell or eternal life with God in the new heaven and the new earth. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, May we stand in awe of you this morning, God, of your holiness. 
your majesty and your power as we read from your word this morning. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly so as that. Lord, grant us a hunger for your truth, to know your truth. Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for you and for one another. Lord, help us apply this passage to our lives today, that we be challenged, that we be changed by your word through the working of your spirit in us, that we be obedient followers of Christ. Lord, help me to preach your word with boldness and gentleness, God, that you would be center. God, knowing that not by my own strength, God, can this turn out well, but God, I pray that you will take it and God, you will use it to edify, to grow, to change your people, God. God, may you be glorified as you continue to save and sanctify your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing that I'll be focusing on is really the what. What is is the end time about? The main thing is is that Christ is... Christ is returning. Christ is coming back. This is the dominant hope of the church of the New Testament. And Jesus made it clear that he was going to be coming again. A second time. In Matthew 24, verse 44, he says, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And again in John 14, 3, he says, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. This returning is going to be a sudden, visible, physical return. When Jesus was first, uh, first came to earth, he was born in a stable known only to some shepherds and, and wise men, uh, Mary and Mary and Joseph. But this second return is going to be sudden and visible, everyone is going to know that Jesus is back this time. Matthew 24, verses 27 says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, which is very far, all the way across, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And Revelations 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wait on account of him. Even so, amen. Everybody is going to be seeing Christmas the sequel, the king's return. The very second it comes out, everyone's going to have a front row seat to Christ coming again. No one's going to miss it. No one's going to have to go and look for a video of it or uh, see a YouTube video of Christ returning. Everyone is going to see Christ return. It's sudden. It's visible. And it's also physical. This, like Jesus' first coming, is a physical coming. He's actually going to come physically to earth. It's not just his teaching, it's not just uh, his style, his heart, his, his spirit dwelling in the people and this, you know, this greater love just kind of showing around the world. He is physically coming again. Acts 1.11 says, This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
Jesus first came as a babe and lived first to bear our sins through his sinless life and perfect sacrifice, to justify us through his death on the cross. And his physical body ascended into heaven. And now we await his promise of his physical second coming as king and Lord to save those who are waiting for him. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And similarly, Daniel 7 verses 13 to 14 says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." Everyone will see it, no one will miss it, and Christ is returning physically and visibly, and we will see him in his glory. Which brings us to the next point of of Christ's return, is that it will be glorious. Again, as you kind of see the contrast between when he first came as a babe and now coming again, you see the glory of our Lord and Savior coming again. Matthew 24, verses 29 to 31 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. You see the lowly, poor, secret, almost hiding his glory when Jesus first came as a babe. When he often performed miracles, uh, even when he was transfigured before his disciples, he told them not to tell anyone. He, he held his glory back, but it's, it's as if in the second coming, he is saying, I'm not holding back anymore. The nations will know who I am in his full glory. It's not that Christ's glory was not there in his first coming, but people really needed their eyes open to see it. This second coming, there's no missing it. The glory of the Lord will shine fully and bright. If you think the sun is bright, just you wait. Everyone will see it and everyone will be awestruck, either in a good way or bad way. You'll either be happy to see the glory of the Lord or you will be cowering in fear. Creation will even become unhinged and people undone at the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as King, Jesus is coming victoriously. He's a conquering King to destroy his enemies. Time is up to hear and receive the good news of the gospel. Humanity will face the Lord that they rejected again and again. And as he saves those who rest upon his sacrifice by faith, they will receive the grace 
and the glory that he had promised them forever with God. Revelation 19, 11 to 16 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Uh, uh, And the name, uh, sorry, heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For those whose faith is set on Christ, who are leaning on his promises, this is a strong and sure hope that we have, that Christ is coming victoriously. It's not a 50-50 chance of whether or not Jesus is going to win. It's 100%. Jesus is coming in victory to judge the nations, to put an end to evil and sin and Satan forever. This is our hope as a church, knowing that Jesus is coming again. This is a hope we rest upon. I remember as a kid, I was often worried. If ever my parents left to go do something, even if it was really simple, like go to the grocery store, I was always somewhat worried of, are they going to come back? Because we really don't know, right? Um, Maybe I was slightly paranoid as a kid, probably. Um, But... Fair enough. I think all of us have probably had that thought at some point. Like, what if they don't come back? What if something happens? Right? That's not what it's like with Jesus. We're not worried. We're not uncertain if he's coming back. Jesus conquered death. He is alive. And he promised he is coming back. He promised. And as we looked at these past two sermons of God's word and who God is, we know that he keeps his promises faithfully, even when we are unfaithful. God does not lie. God is faithful. God is just. God is loving. And God remains on the throne. And we wait with hope, a strong and assured hope that Christ is returning. He is coming again. And so we wait. But I guess the big question then is, well, how long? Right? Waiting's hard. Waiting's difficult, especially for something good, especially when you don't exactly know when that thing is coming. Right? If someone just tells you to wait, usually your first question is, well, how long do you want me to wait for? Right? You know, how often is our lives filled with waiting? You know, are we there yet? I'm sure your parents have heard that before. Yeah? How long until we get there? You know? Couples waiting to finally get married, right? To make that commitment to one another. Especially in this time, right? Many couples have had to postpone weddings. Right? Maybe in this pandemic, waiting for the pandemic to be over. That's a lot of waiting. 
uh, waiting in, I mean, even waiting in line at fast food. We aren't good at waiting. We want immediacy. We want it to happen right now. So for those, or all of us, who maybe hate waiting, my answer to this question probably won't help you too much, but maybe give you a little bit of assurance in this. I pray that as we reflect on it more, you'll see the hope in this waiting. You'll see God's heart in this waiting. You'll see who God is and what he promises in this waiting. So how long are we waiting? Well, the, question, the, the answer to that is, we don't know. God has not revealed it. He hasn't revealed the exact time. Matthew 24, verse 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And then moving to verse 42 and 44, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If your parents have ever asked you to like clean something up as they left out the door, if you know when they're coming back, I mean, maybe, maybe you're not like me, but I often planned out how long I, would, I could wait and kind of do what I wanted before I had to get to that task and finish that without them coming back and being like, why didn't you do this? And then get scolded for that. But when you don't know when your parents are coming back, they might just be five minutes, they might be ten minutes, they might be an hour the best choice is usually to get that task done first and to keep doing it until it's done so that when they are back, you have completed it and you don't get scolded for not listening and not obeying. To do it immediately. The thing with God is that the work that he has set out for us is continual. It always needs to be done. There's always more to be done as we seek to obey God's calling, as Jesus ascended into heaven, right? To go and make disciples in all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That he'll be with us through that. But he never says that the, the work is done, right? Until he comes. We continue to work. We continue to be ready to do what God has called us to as we wait. He has, however, given us what we need as we wait and long for Christ's return. The main thing that we know is that he is coming. He will be coming back. He'll be in glory and in victory. And if we're trying to figure out the exact time, we're actually missing the point of all of this, of what he's saying, right? And we can get so lost in that tree of when is Jesus coming? When is Jesus coming? Is it now? Is it here? Is it there? We get so lost in that detail of when that we aren't even focusing on his promise anymore. And our purpose is to not figure that out, but to instead rest that he is returning and to be ready. However, knowing our weakness, Jesus does give some insight, as he did to his disciples uh, when he was with them, of his return with what he refers to as birth pains. I have not been pregnant before. I don't know what birth pains are like. But they are signs of a birth happening, right? 
of this amazing gift of a child. So Jesus refers to these things as birth pains, as, as uh, foreshadowing the coming of his return. In Matthew 24, verses 4 to 14, Jesus answered them. The disciples had asked him, when, when, is this, when are you returning? When are you coming back? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus points to these birth pains before labor, preparing for the birth that we stand firm as we wait upon him. We'll see false messiahs and prophets that pull people from Jesus and point to themselves saying, I am the Christ. And he says, don't go astray. There's wars and disasters which we have seen in our time. Are we really one step closer to world peace like people are trying to go towards or Are things just falling more and more apart? There's persecution, suffering, and tests of faith of of seeing who's really committed to following Christ. There's death. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We see Paul who was stoned and got back up and went back into the town and continued to preach. And it was an encouragement uh, to, for those to continue in their faith. There are many persecutions to come, suffering and tests. But we have to persevere through that as we rest upon the hope of Christ coming again to put an end to the wickedness and the evil which we also see there's wickedness and lawlessness. There's moral decay within the world. In 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 it says, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. It's not a very encouraging verse necessarily of what our world is like, but it's very true. As we look at the world around us, we can see these things coming to play. However, there is that joy. Amongst the birth pains, you see that the baby is growing, right? And there is 
gospel growth. Jesus promises that there will be gospel growth, that the kingdom is going to continue to grow as God calls people to himself. The gospel has indeed and will indeed spread, but there is still work to do. Let us not sit idle, but still seek to see God glorified in the depravity. Daniel 9 and Matthew 24 also talks about this abomination of desolation uh, pointing and beginning the tribulation to come. It's a prophecy of a time, and it's in regards to the sacrifices at the temple. Um, As the regular sacrifices would cease, an abomination would occur. And Jesus and Daniel are speaking about this future event during the time of tribulation. It was some kind of defiling, destructive incident within the temple, which would end the practice of daily sacrifices. But Jesus specified that the abomination would be standing in the holy place, that is, the second most sacred room in the temple. See, Jesus was telling the disciples about these things because they were going to be putting their lives on the line repeatedly. Jesus knew they needed a strong assurance that his review of future history was accurate and that their hardships for his sake would be worth the cost because it is difficult. There are many tribulations, there are many struggles as we go on in this life. And as those things show, as those things come, we can be assured all the more that Jesus is near, that Jesus is coming. Jesus is on the way. There are, this is probably a good point to jump into this, and I'm sure some of you are kind of waiting, oh, when is he going to talk about this specifically? Uh, There are four kind of main viewpoints to see how these things are going to unfold. Um, These evangelicals who hold to these various positions all agree that Scripture is inerrant, and they have a commitment to believe whatever is taught by Scripture. Their differences concern just the interpretation of various passages relating to these end times, Um, But their differences on these matters should be seen as matters of of secondary, if not third, importance. Note, uh, not as differences over primary doctrinal matters, right? They're not denying the gospel. They're not saying something heretical, right? It's just the interpretation of this. Um, And so as we we get into this, let me remind you that... uh, that to kind of... I'm praying that you'll find clarity in these different viewpoints. um, That it'll help just kind of push away the fog if you've kind of had struggle of seeing what these are about. Um, to have humility and patience and peace with others as you understand their positions and as you understand uh, maybe the position that you rest on and not to have just dismissive and divisive attitudes towards one another. Right? May this just increase your passion to seek out more in God's word. Um, to have a better, you know, strong biblical understanding of these end times. <clears throat> And so where, where do these things kind of, like where do these positions differ? Uh, there's differences just in the nature of uh, the millennium that's uh, told in Revelation 20 uh, when it comes to Christ's return, of where that happens uh, in proportion to Christ's return, as well as the great tribulation that we saw before reading in Matthew 24, as well as uh, the salvation of the Jewish people and the relationship between saved Jews and the church. Um, and along with the, the millennium, Uh, if it's really in a thousand-year period literally, or if it's just a symbolic uh, idea more of a very long time, 
right? And so there's these different interpretations. And so let me quickly, I'll try to quickly go through each of these just to give you a bit of a basis. Um, so we do have uh, classic pre-millennial, uh, pre-millennialism. So that's saying Christ is coming before the millennium of his reign for a thousand years. Um, that Jesus will come. So Jesus came the first time. There was the church age, which then will lead to the tribulation, um, in which there are kind of some different points of either Christ is going to come before the tribulation, in between the tribulation, or after the tribulation. Um, and that's when Christ's second return will happen, is at the end of that tribulation. Uh, so they have those different uh, points there, as well as Satan's imprisonment happening, uh, with then brings upon the resurrected believers. Um, we see the millennium of Christ's reign for the a thousand period, a uh, thousand year period, uh, and Christ reigning on earth with the raised martyrs, which is the first resurrection, which then leads to the general resurrection uh, and the final judgment, as Christ puts an end uh, to Satan and judges uh, all people, and either uh, uh, condemning people to hell or raising them up to heaven in glory. Uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward as far as classical premillennialism. Um, and then another kind of viewpoint off of that is dispensational premillennial. And the differences between those two uh, is it, it definitely takes a more literal interpretation of the Bible. Uh, and seeing the Old Testament promises and prophecies about Israel, that they will actually come to pass, literally and historically fulfilled. Uh, that Christ will come to save the Jews and the church. Um, seeing almost that Israel was kind of put on hold as the Gentiles were saved, uh, and that's sort of the, the church age. Uh, and often uh, dispensational premillennials will see uh, a secret rapture kind of of the church, and then the great tribulation, which leads to uh, Jesus then bringing in uh, the Jews uh, to those who believe in him. And that Jesus returns before the millennium, and reigns with Israel for that a thousand years, where promises and prophecies are fulfilled. So those are the first two, which more focus on before the millennium. Um, and then there's, I call it classic post-millennial, so that there was more clarity, but you could just call it post-millennial, uh, which has a highly symbolic um, character in Revelation. That's sort of how they view it and how they interpret it. Um, more symbolic in interpretation, you know, not an actual thousand years, but just a long time. <clears throat> some see Revelation 20 as, as future events, and some see it as already happening or will happen um, before Jesus returns. Uh, seeing Revelation 19 and 20 as a single event, uh, different, you know, with different imagery, but not being two consecutive events together. As, we kinda, as they kind of read through it, uh, they have a more plain reading of the New Testament, noticing that the millennium is not actually described anywhere else in the New Testament after Jesus' return. <clears throat> and so that's some differing viewpoints as far as the, the post-millennial, uh, that the tribulation really leads from Christ's death to uh, the destruction of the Jewish temple uh, and then leading to Christ coming after the millennium. And then the last one is ah, millennial which actually means no millennium, and not that they don't believe in a millennium, but that it's more symbolic in that sense. Uh, Revelation 20 describes, uh, they see it describing the church age, so really what we are in now. 
The church's uh, revelation was written to facing persecution from outside and the deception that was inside the church. And so they read Revelation 20 as a curtain pulled back to show the suffering church that Satan is imprisoned, that those martyrs are victors, and to give them that hope uh, as they continue to uh, seek to live for Christ, uh, and that the cost of that living was indeed worth it, that Jesus is still King and Lord of Lords. And so they see the millennium currently happening, and that it's more spiritual in nature, uh, that believers sharing in Christ's victory now, um, either in, in the new life after conversion or probably more likely at death, that they are reigning with Christ now, enjoying that life with Jesus in heaven uh, until a permanent physical reign. And so again, I know that was very quick as we go through, but I encourage you to continue to seek into that. If you haven't really rested upon anything as far as uh, end times. Uh, I do pray that it just kind of helped to give a bit of clarity. Um, and again, I pray that you have humility and patience as you uh, interact with others and uh, continue to increase just your passion to seek out what God is showing us in his word through this. <clears throat> Lastly, I'd like us to focus on Why? Right? We saw that Jesus is returning. We don't know exactly when, but we know that Jesus has given us hope and signs as we look ahead to that. But, but why is he coming back? Why is this important to us? Jesus as the Lamb will come both to judge and to save. Judgment for sins. Salvation through his sacrifice already given. So Jesus is coming to save Christ came first to call us to repent and believe. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins as a perfect sacrifice. To justify us before a holy God. The lamb slain. The blood running no more. That whoever believes in him will be saved. However, he told us that he would come again to fully restore us. The kingdom finally arriving in full for those who have persevered in the faith to full glory, whose name is written in the book of life. Revelation, 9, or Revelation 5, 9 says, They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And in Hebrews 9.28 it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Our sin has been dealt with. It has been justified in Christ who died on the cross. That whoever believes in him is saved. But we wait for him to save us unto full glory when he sends his angels with loud trumpet to gather his elect. But we do see that there will also be judgment. God who is holy, his just wrath. What the world is coming to is a face-to-face encounter with a holy God who has come to judge a sinful world and who will, and, and the judge will be the lamb, which is, just amazing that God uses a lamb to judge. The humble Savior who will come on the white horse 
as king to judge the nations. When God judges, the world falls apart. The falling apart creation is the least of the problems of the people. It's the holy God who has finally come to justly judge the wickedness of their sins with his holy wrath. No longer letting the sin go unpunished. See, often we have a difficult time when it comes to God's wrath of understanding how can God be wrathful. But it is a holy wrath. If God allowed the evil to continue, to continue to go on without being punished, without being judged, he would not be loving. He would not be good. But we know that those truths are there. That God is loving. That our path was always to hell and he took people out. We're all deserving of that punishment. God is holy, and we have sinned against him. Let us see the atrocity of our sin towards a holy God. God will put an end to evil. He'll put an end to Satan, who will no longer be deceiving. He'll be defeated. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. We see that in Revelations 27 to 10. As well, we see the great white throne, which is also depicted in Daniel 7, 9. In Revelation 20, 11 to 15, that God remains ruler and creator and judge. May this bring us both comfort and caution. That God will judge and everyone will answer to him. His judgment is inescapable. People have gotten away with evil in this world. But God remained on his throne and he will have the final word. We too will answer to God. And we too are part of this sinful world. And so I pray that our faith is not resting upon our own works, but upon Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who paid that price, who justified us. And we see that as Revelation 20 continues, with the standing dead, We often see in apocalyptic movies that main characters get away from the judgment, but that's not the case here. No one will get away. They can't escape the final judgment, the final resurrection, that some are raised to everlasting life and some are condemned to everlasting punishment. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And there will be books. That's kind of scary for me to think that there's a book of my entire life, of everything that I've done. Of our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. But this, judge is, this judgment is not going upon a balance of scales of good versus bad. But showing and seeing that we have broken God. God's holy law. No one will pass the test, not on their own merit. The only way is if your name is written in the book of life, as we see in Revelation 20.15. And how is your name written in the book of life? But by faithfully resting upon Christ's sacrifice. And we see those whose names is not written in the book of life will see the second death in the lake of fire, 
tormented day and night forever and ever. God's enemies, Satan and his followers, death and Hades. This is God's holiness and the punishment for the heinous crimes that we have committed towards him. May this be a caution to us of what our hope is resting in. Let us take God seriously. If your faith is in Christ, we have a great hope. As Revelation 21, 1-5 shows that God has prepared a place for us. He will make a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 21 it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city new, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for former things have passed away. What a hope that we have. New creation, new Jerusalem, that God will be dwelling with his people. All Christians who take the Bible as their final authority agree that the final and ultimate result of Christ's return will be the judgment of unbelievers and the final reward for those who have their faith set on Christ. That believers will live with Christ in a new heaven and new earth for all eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will reign and will be worshipped in a never-ending kingdom with no more sin or sorrow or suffering. And this is a hope. This is what we look forward to. This is how we continue to persevere as a church. The end is not the end, but the glorious, eternal beginning. Jesus is coming again. And so I pray that we await with hope the bodily and visible return of Christ as he redeems and restores the righteous to eternity and condemns and punishes the wicked, both lasting for eternity. I know that that's a lot, there's so much more that you can get into, and I pray that you do as you continue to dig into God's word to explore this more. Our statement of faith as a church is that we believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the bodily resurrection of the just and unjust, in the eternal blessedness of the redeemed, and in the judgment and conscious eternal punishment of the wicked. And so I ask again, what is your hope resting in? Have you put your faith in Christ? Are you still living by your own works, by your own desires and your own ways? I pray that as as you've heard this, that God has been working on your heart, that if you want to have this hope, that if you want to seek to be in the glory of God, with God forever, that you don't take his word lightly of the punishment to come for those who are not resting in Christ. I pray that you believe and declare that Jesus is Lord and your Savior and that you need him. There's no other way. Jesus is the way. Through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, 
for his blood spilt as a payment for our sins. Believe in him. Rest in him. Continue on in hope and in obedience. This world is temporary, and the idols of this world can't hold the promises they give. Our God can and has already. Repent and believe. Turn your worship to God. Know who the giver is. Know the Savior. Know the King. Know the Creator. Know the Judge. And be assured in the hope that he has given us. And if you are resting in him, are you on mission now? Are you ready? Are you just waiting idly, kind of back in a cave, until Christ comes? Are you boldly going as Christ has called us. Be ready. Be faithful. Obey him in the present. Actively engage in whatever work he has called you to do. It's okay if you don't accomplish all the world things that you maybe have set before you. It's okay if you don't finish school, if Christ comes at that time. It's okay if you are just leaving the plane to go on a missions trip after two years of preparing and Christ comes. Be faithful. Do what God has called us to. To be on mission, to be disciples, to go and make disciples in all nations. Go now, be ready. Wherever God has you, wherever God is calling you, faithfully obey. And wait with hope as we await his coming again. We have the invitation to the greatest feast with the king and we are to go and tell people about it about how Jesus made a way for them to be saved and forgiven of their sin. And so, uh, as the worship team comes up, they'll be leading us in a song, We Will Feast. And so I pray that as we sing, we will respond in that. But let me pray as they make their way up here.